I don't think they were rude. They probably were nice, but they were just like, hey, you just have to wait like everybody else. I think the rude part was the other milk and honey, but like, look, we don't know them Negroes. (laughs) 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 We from Tennessee. Before they get in your people welcome into montgomery and company i'm renee montgomery and we're having some fun today all right because we got some youngins in the building hbcu student athletes okay we have omar Rowe and Jaden gray who play at morehouse baby and i recently pulled up at a morehouse football game we handed out some checks for the last yard scholarship had a good old time and we're going to talk to them all about just their experience we also have Stephanie Rawlings Blake on who has a new role at the MBPA Foundation. And last, of course, but not least, boy, oh boy, to Keith Lee tearing Lynn up, baby. Woo! We're going to talk all about it. Restaurants in general, the crew is going to discuss. Let's go! I want to be a billionaire so freaking bad. Buy all of the things I never had. I want to be on the cover of Forbes magazine, standing next to Issa and my queen. What up, though? Listen, so the reason I'm doing that is because, I mean, shoot, we do want to be a billionaire around here, okay? Uh, But we got a new billionaire in the building, not in the building here, but in the building, baby. And I'm talking about athletes here. So there's only four total athletes to be billionaires right now. Those athletes are Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, LeBron James. And then the newest member that is now a billionaire is Magic Johnson. Fum, 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 fum. We love to see it. Okay. We love to see it. Magic Johnson. I mean, First of all, Magic Johnson, the player, is unreal. Magic Johnson, the entrepreneur, mogul, hyphenated everything, is honestly just insane. I mean, when you look at all the things that he's involved in, he has sports ownership in pretty much every single sports league there is, and even the ones that we haven't thought about in the future, he's already there, baby. Like, he's in it. I mean, all the way from the L.A. teams to now he's with the Washington Commanders. I mean, and then he has his own business endeavors, billionaire baby status. And then when you just start to look at this list, so like what makes a billionaire, right? When I'm talking about athletes here. So we have Tiger Woods and we all know that Tiger Woods was the first of his kind, was so different, so everything. So for him to be a billionaire and, you know, like and another thing is, let me side note. To be a billionaire, it's not from your earnings on the court. So, yes, all of these billionaires were mega superstars. But to be a billionaire, you got to be a big time boss outside the court, too. So the thing about when I think about Tiger Woods is and let me um, I'm looking this up now just to make sure. But Tiger Woods and Justin Timberlake dropping a restaurant now. Tiger Woods, as we all know, is one of the best ever to do it in golf. So, of course, his restaurant was going to have to do with that. Tiger Woods and Justin Timberlake, they have just new lounges where you kind of top golf style. You watch golf, you eat, you play. But again, doing business outside of his sport, but also inside of his sport, too. Michael Jordan. We all know everybody had a pair of J's, right? 
So the Michael Jordan deal that he did with Nike doing big business off the court as well. Let's go. LeBron James. LeBron James. Now, we know all the different endeavors he's in. Spring Hill. He's investing in different teams. He's already told Adam Silver that he wants to be one of the owners of the Las Vegas NBA team when they expand. And side note, Justin Timberlake, the name of his thing is T-Squared Social, by the way. That's the name of the restaurant Tiger Woods and Justin Timberlake. But LeBron James has already told the commissioner, Adam Silver, that I want to be an owner in the NBA and the team I want is the Las Vegas fill-in-the-blank. So we know that he's already involved doing big business on the other side of things. He's already owner of a soccer team. He has a lot going on. Magic Johnson's the same. Honestly, I'm shocked to not see Shaq on the list yet. Diesel, you're Superman. You know what I'm saying? The DJ. Like, I'm shocked to not see Shaq on the list only because Shaq got about 511 commercials on air. And I feel like every company that Shaq is doing a commercial for, I find it hard to believe that he doesn't have a percentage of equity in that company. So I feel like it's only a matter of time before Shaq Diesel is going to join that list of billionaire athletes. And side note to Shaq Diesel, my man said that he wants to buy the Vegas team too. Shaq has came out publicly and said, I want to buy the Las Vegas NBA team and I want to do it by myself. I want to just buy the whole thing outright. Now, when I say by, when he says by himself, he may or may not mean with his own cash money. He may have some silent investors and everything of that nature. And, and you know, because his Shaq's net worth is around four hundred million dollars. Now, we all know that, like when you Google somebody's net worth and this is the disclaimer, I know y'all lying if y'all believe the Internet on how much money people have. The internet is not counting nobody's pockets accurately, okay? So the internet has Shaq at a $400 million net worth. I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know that Shaq said he wants to buy the whole thing by himself. So now we got LeBron, we got Shaq going for a team that we don't even know exists yet. Oh, I love sports. But back to the billionaires. So you look at these billionaires and you start to think, okay, you, you reach billionaire status. Is there a formula? Well, one thing that I would say is a formula that jumps out at me is that there are no women on the list. There are no women athletes. And are is anyone surprised? Like, is anyone surprised that there's not a woman on the list? And if somebody says yes, you're probably not paying attention, baby, okay? Because, you know, you might be new to this, but... That's the problem, too. So now we see these lists, and I really firmly believe, I know there's a lot of conversations about NIL and the good, the bad, and the ugly, but I'm going to tell you one thing that I know for a fact is happening with NIL, and it is leveling the playing field when it comes to cash money, honey. I mean, some of your top NIL earners are women athletes. Some of your top NIL people you see in commercials are those women athletes. So now that the women athletes are going to be making a certain amount of money starting in college, well, you might see them invest in more companies. You might see them take more risk because, you know, the same way in all things in life, high risk, high reward. Well, I can't take high risk if I don't have the funds to do it. So I'm just saying, like, the thing I love to see is athletes winning. So, man, we got to give a clap for Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Magic Johnson. Like, we love to see it. And boy, I can't wait till we see a woman on that list.
here with Stephanie Rawlings-Blake. And first of all, let me just say congrats on being named the new director of the MVPA Foundation. Thank you. Let's go. So welcome to Montgomery & Co. And so I just want you to just talk to me about the new role, the new job. What are your, what do you think are going to be the points of emphasis this season? What did you, what are you excited about, about this role? Tell me everything. First, I'm excited to to be here with you. So thank you for inviting me and the foundation. Like it's a dream job. I get to work with players uh, who come from around the globe and help direct their philanthropy. You know, I grew up in a family that valued service. So to be able to spread that in a way that is uh, continuing to make an impact is, you know, it's, it's a pinch myself job. And so what about like working with the athletes? How closely do you work together with the NBA players? Do they come in like, because now pretty much all players have their own foundation. So are you guys like working to collab with, with the players or how does that work? So we collab with the players, but also a lot of them look to us and our philanthropic coaching to help them establish their foundations. Uh, We do that uh, work with players that are just coming into the league to help them understand, you know, you, you may or may not necessarily need to do a foundation, you know, in your first contract, you might want to wait, you know, helping them think through what's the best way to show up in this space. And then when they do it, um, you know, giving them the sort of back of office support they need to make sure that they're doing it right. I love that because I remember when I started my foundation in 2019, it's like, you really don't know where to start. Like, you know, like people were asking me, am I a 501c3? And I'm like, I hope I'm going, I like, do I need to be like, help me? Like, so, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying because like I'm an athlete that came in and where you only focus on sports. And so you don't really think about all the other things. You just know you want to have an impact. And so having, knowing that and different things, like what do you see as areas of growth or and things you're excited to change? So many areas of growth, so many opportunities um, to expand the work. I'll say one of the first things I'm trying to grow is the number of athletes, the number of basketball players that participate in the matching grant program. Our primary work is our matching grant program, which is for active players every season, they get $25,000 in matching grants. And in my opinion, not enough of them uh, are aware of this benefit. Not enough of them are taking advantage of it. So I'm, you know, I, I am an evangelist anytime I uh, talk to an active player and the retired players, because retired players, if, if they've played, if they play for three years uh, for the rest of their life, they're eligible for $15,000 a year. And I keep telling them, I said, you know, it's not like it accrues. If you don't use it, you lose it. And I know that you're doing the work. So we want to make sure that we're being able to to leverage the the benefits that they've earned to help support them in their work. What percentage do you think uses that? And just so people know, the matching program means like if they want to spend 25K on something, you all will match it on the, that same grant. Right. And so how many what percentage of the players are you think are taking advantage of this? Not enough until it's 100 percent. It's not enough. So, <laughs> I I, you it. know, like what I will say is, you know, some some teams do have, you know, do a better job than other teams. And we're. Part of what I've been trying to do uh, during this, you know, the the months that I've been in this position is trying to dig down and figure out why. Is it because of the player rep? Is it because of someone from the team? You know, is it because of our outreach effort? And and if it is because of our our outreach, why is it so uneven? You know what I mean? From one team to the next. So we're digging deep. We're trying to figure out, you know, how to meet the players where they are. And um, you know, make sure that they understand the resources that are available to them through through the union. And it's you know, it's the, the we're 
separate from the from the players association officially but we're part of the same house and we want to make sure the players are like i firmly believe in in getting everything that's due to you and for me that that's matching grants a part of that being in the sports world i love to see when people almost seem overqualified for, for positions and you might be one of those in the sense of man like you have such an amazing background in a sense of you've already accomplished a lot. You came from politics and now you're doing this here. Like what, what brought you here? Like what about the sports world attracted you here? You know, it's so funny when I hear that people say, you know, you were mayor, you're overqualified. I mean, yeah, honestly, like being a, a mayor of a major city in the country, what job won't you be overqualified for unless you like try to be a surgeon or something like, you know, like, <laughs> when you, Where'd when you you're go? a mayor. Yeah. But you know, because you, you're always on go 24 hours a day, especially if you have a city um, like I did with Baltimore, uh, it's a, a major city for tourism, health, universities, dealing with things like um, chronic violence and uh, police and community trust. Like those are major things that you have to grapple with on a day to day basis. You never know from one day to the next what you're going to face. Like, you know, yes. Would that probably make me overqualified for like 99% of the jobs out there. Yeah, I think so. However, uh, what drove me to the work was my passion for service and making my community better. And that's what drove me here because these players, you know, truth be told, have much more influence than politicians do much more influence than a lot of, you know, religious leaders or civic leaders that are out there. People, young people, particularly look to them uh, to look to our athletes as leaders, as really guideposts. Right. So like why, wouldn't I be where the action is and try to, to help them maximize the impact that they're able to have in the community? Man, I love that because there are no truer words have ever been spoken when you think about just the energy that athletes bring to anything. I mean, when an athlete puts their name, image, and likeness behind a topic, I mean, we see even in politics, like, I don't know if you did, but a lot of times people want the athletes to come to their political events and you might not even have to say nothing, just show up. I've had people say, you don't have to say nothing. I don't want you to speak, just show up. And so to that point, if you're connected directly to the athletes, then you're connected directly to making bigger impacts is how I, you know, is how I see it. In your opinion, how can the basketball culture and NBA players influence policy and social change? Like, and do you want them almost to like, you know, like, do you want, like, you know, do you guys advise players to stay in or out of topics and different things of that nature? So as far as advising them to stay in and out, we advise them to be smart with the things that they're doing. Um, and we try to support, uh, provide information. So if they want to uh, speak out on a particular topic, uh, they're not doing it blindly that, you know, that that if they want uh, information or things like that, that's why we're here. But with respect to do I want them to have impact? Absolutely. And they have. I think, you know, one of the most impressive things I saw was the way the players showed up from the bubble during uh, the last presidential election. Um, it is without doubt that they uh, had an impact on the outcome of the presidential election. And I think that that's just the beginning of where their impact can go. Um, I'm hoping that we can do more to have real social impact from everything, you know, of course, voter education, voter registration, like to me, that's the, that's low hanging fruit. Um, yeah. I, I had Colin Kaepernick speak at my, um, I had a, a summit, a conference in, um, 
at UCLA in September, and um, he spoke about the Know Your Rights campaign. And in my mind, like something like that, where we're collaborating with someone who is so passionate, so dedicated uh, to to help our young people across the country know their rights. That's the type of social impact that I'm hoping to grow um, with the players. No, I love that. And so what are some other like points of emphasis? Because I know that like a lot of times, you know, the NBA is considered like the brotherhood to our sisterhood. So is there, is there a point of emphasis on women in sports? Because like, for instance, my foundation, we target a lot of those girls in that age where I'm sure, you know, there's a huge drop off on the girl side, the teenagers, 13, 14. Are you guys planning on doing some collabs on the women's sports side or what are the points of emphasis for the foundation along with the other things? Uh, we're certainly open to collaboration. I find that uh, when I see uh, players that are focused on uh, women in sports, they're often the, the girl dads, right, that that know the importance of women in sports, girls in sports. Um, but, you know, we're, we're certainly working um, to strengthen our youth uh, education through sports portfolio. Um, we've seen how basketball and sports uh, across the board can be instrumental in uh, the development of young people. So we're uh, working to continue that. Our disaster relief, using the experience I had of being mayor and knowing how important it is to preposition uh, resources in, in, in the event of an emergency. We have a, a partnership with Team Rubicon, a veteran-founded uh, and led organization that puts military veterans first on the ground when disasters strike across the country. And, you know, so we're partnering with them. So um, when a disaster strikes, we're not in the position to try to scurry around and, and vet organizations to see, you know, where we, you know, who we can support. Like they're on the ground, they're our partners. If players want to to um, participate in the response effort, um, they facilitate that work. So I'm really proud about that. And we're, um, we're looking for more disaster relief um, partnerships. So that's some of it. And I'm also working in the uh, health disparity space. We are in talks with the American Cancer Society to, to do a collaboration around uh, prostate cancer. Prostate cancer in the Black community is the largest health disparity, meaning for Black men uh, who are diagnosed with prostate cancer, their life expectancy after diagnosis is the worst Mm. Uh, compared to majority culture. So there's something that we can do about that as uh, in our community. I'm, I'm hoping that'll be our next big collaboration. I love that. So the last question I want to ask you is that you're currently on the board of advisors and a member of the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame of Governors, which is big lit, by the way, like, man, like you do so much. It's amazing. And so how do those two entities and those two worlds that you're in now operate and like, how do you mesh them together almost? For me, I mesh them together by um, taking the my leadership experience that I had before here and my advocacy for the players and making sure that um, that that what you see in the Hall of Fame represents the best of us in the, you know, the, as it relates to the players. So the, the best of them. Right. And in the best way possible. And I'm looking forward to um, next year being able to um, announce a really, really big new project that. What I is this, Stephanie? Will... <laughs> so I will say this. A lot of focus is on what the play, who, who the players are on the court. Um, but if you ask the players who they are and they can't say anything about basketball, sports, you know, anything like that. Right. Who do they say they are? 
this exhibit will be focused on that, how they see themselves, how they are, how they interact uh, with their families, the, the things that make them, you know, how they say just like us uh-huh. <laughs> uh, in a way that I, I think will really resonate with fans. Oh, boy, I can't wait to see, because I mean, me being an athlete, like everybody knows our on court who we are, but obviously we are humans when we leave that court and we have, you can see now that there's gamers, there's sneakerheads, there's fashion icons. Like we see all these people now, ra- rappers, entertainers, and everybody's like kind of shocked. But first of all, Shaq been doing this. So if you shocked, y'all should see Shaq has been doing this. But I love it, Stephanie. Thank you so much for joining me here on Montgomery & Co. Oh, it is my pleasure. And I'm taking all your energy with me for the rest of the day. It has really been a pleasure. So I'm excited to talk to these young fellas, even though they call me Miss Renee. And it's like, when did I become the auntie? But I digress. We have Omar Rowe and Jaden Gray coming on. Morehouse Hoopers. Can't wait to talk to them. Let's go. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Omar Rowe and I just pulled up on them on their campus because if you guys have been keeping up we had our RMF Black and Gold Gala and at our gala we raised lots of funds shout to you guys for donating anybody that donated and didn't go we appreciate it but then we pulled up on my guys because first of all I like to see people I want to see what's up and it was the best case scenario I got to meet Omar and I'm going to meet his team, well, y'all gonna see his TV in a second. He running here right now, literally. But but I pulled up on the guys, and when I tell you, respectful dudes, just all the feels, it felt good. So welcome, Omar Rowe, onto Montgomery & Co. Omar, thank you for pulling up. No, I appreciate you for having me. All right, so listen, you go to Morehouse, and we already know about HBCUs because I talk about them a lot, but HBCUs are severely underfunded and all the other different things. But when you're an athlete, you you really not worried about all that. You trying to get you trying to get to the buckets. You trying to get to the thing to to the top. So what made you choose Morehouse in the first place? It's actually funny because Morehouse wasn't really in my plan. But what made me choose it was really like being at the HBCU like it's like a family. So like reaching out to me, showing the interest in, in my game and who I am as a person that stood out the most. Especially in the recruiting process with basketball, that's the most important thing. You got to feel comfortable. You got to be good. Make sure that that, that person, that school you're going to, like, is going to work out for you. And I felt good in my spirit. Yeah, no, I feel you because, like, so my parents went to an HBCU. So I'm an HBCU baby. So I grew up on the campuses of homecomings and different things. So, you know, like, for people that have never been to an HBCU homecoming, like, how would you describe that to them if they've never seen it? It's actually funny because this is my first ever homecoming myself oh snap so how was it how was your first experience i ain't gonna lie it was different it was it was a very very good experience like (laughs) 
<laughs> biggest part for me though was being out from New York and stuff. You know, a whole lot of violence and all the nonsense that go on. I felt good to be around a, a whole bunch of black people and it was no violence, just great vibes. Like everybody laughing, enjoying their time, no funniness, nothing. I love that because that is a good point. Like, you know, that's what everybody like. We all want to be amongst our peoples having the vibes. And, you know, like they already say, there's people that want to spoil the party. So coming from New York to the A, you know, these are two cities that, first of all, New York been on the map. Like my wife always says she thinks it's the center of the world when she was growing up because every TV show, every movie was in New York. So what was that transition like for you coming from New York to the A? It was actually kind of easy because I got a lot of people that's from New York that live out here. So. I always say Atlanta's like a baby New York in a way. Wait a minute now, Omar. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty smooth. Uh-oh, do we have, we got somebody <laughs> pulled up on us? Jaden Gray just pulled up on us. Jaden Gray is also a player at Morehouse alongside Omar. So for, welcome to the show, Jaden. Thank you, I appreciate it. You catch your breath, because I told them that you were literally running over. <laughs> you were literally running over. You sweat, you catch your breath, yeah, you all right? Definitely, definitely, I'm fine now. I already asked Omar, so I'm gonna ask you right quick, like, why did you choose Morehouse? You know, like when you're a hooper and people are recruiting you, there's so many different places you can go. So why'd you choose Morehouse? Definitely Morehouse just felt like a family atmosphere. Um, I talked to Coach Witt, um, I talked to Coach Pope, and both of those guys just made it feel like a family and the culture, like the school support that that's here. Like everybody has a mar maroon tiger shirt or jacket and sweatpants. So you just don't get that too many places. A lot of places don't have like school pride and that was the main reason. I love that. And so was this your first HBCU homecoming? Because I know it was Omar. So was this your first one or had you experienced it before? Um, yes, but my mom went to Clark. So I got to experience it when I was like, like maybe on, like, <laughs> I got the experience when I was a little younger, but this was definitely my first HBCU homecoming with me being older. Okay. So for people that don't know, like, so just tell them your, like, what is an HBCU homecoming like? Like, what is that experience like? It's different. I've never seen this many people nah. in one area in my life. So it, the culture is is different, especially me. Come really both of us coming from JUCOs, like a little bit smaller atmospheres. We've we've never, well, at least I've never experienced something nothing like it before. I love it. So you said y'all both came for JUCOs, and it made me think of Last Chance You. Y'all seen that show, The Last Chance You, the basketball one? Yeah. yeah. How realistic is that to the JUCO life? Because they they talked about how, like, you know, you got the coach doing everything. The coach is doing the laundry. They're driving the bus. So is that realistic to the JUCO? <laughs> is that realistic? Nah, it's funny because actually one of our teammates is from Last Chance You, Demetrius Caleb. Okay. But it's actually kind of, it's very similar. Like, I say Juco, you really got to get out the mud. Like, you got to put that work in. And mentally, it's a mental it's a mental game. Like, Juco, out of everything, is, is the mental part right there. Like, you just got to keep that intact. Stay positive. Don't get too high. Don't get too low. Just focus on the main goal and just take a step at a time. 1% every day. Congratulations, then, because it is a grind. You got everybody in JUCO trying to make it out of JUCO. And I'm sitting here talking to both of you guys as Morehouse players. So first of all, congratulations, because y'all did that. And it, everything in sports is a mental struggle. Y'all know it. Like, it's me versus me. Am I going to work out harder? Am I going to get this extra rep in? It's the day off, but am I going to pull up? Because I know I need to, like, everything in sports, you already know is mental. So I'm about to get to the basketball point of view then, because I talk about it all the time, where it's like, like I went to UConn and we had everything at our fingertips and at our, at our disposal. And so we didn't really have an excuse not to have energy or not to be 
all the way there, right? But you guys may not have that same type of resources. So how do you keep yourself prepared, you know, regardless of what resources you have or not? Like, how do you get ready and be prepared every day for practice? For me, I just try to control what I can control. And that's pretty much it. Um, we know you need to work hard. And really, we have everything, to be honest. we might It, it might not be the best, but in my opinion, a dumbbell is a dumbbell. Rather has your logo on it or not. So that's facts. That's just how I look at it. Control what you can control. What about you, Omar? Me personally, I just I think about everything I've been through. I know a lot is expected out of me, especially being a role model, a leader on the team and everything. So it was like that's the motivation right there. It don't get no better than that. Enjoying the problem at Morehouse, Black Institute. I'm good. I I feel good. I don't got no complaints. So yeah, I just use, I just put all that into perspective and just go out there and give it my all. I love talking to y'all and hearing y'all talk because like I was once this, this hooper, like I was once y'all sitting there like this. And so when you talk about you being a leader, like I, I've noticed that people that are leaders on the court, it seems like they'd be that way at their household too. So do, have you guys noticed that like, because you guys are pretty much people see y'all, y'all picked yourself up. Does your family look at y'all as like leaders of the family household of who to, who to look up to or, or whatnot? No, nah, definitely. I got a little, I got a little niece and a nephew. They like my kids and like my siblings. So especially my nephew, cause he played basketball too. So like, that's like my leadership role. I play in my household every day. Love that. What about you, Jaden? Definitely. I, I feel for me, I've always grew up in a single parent household. So I've always pretty much had a lot of responsibility. It's not too hard, but like you say, just making sure you do the right thing every day because you do have freshmen that say, oh, he didn't do it. So I don't have to do it. So that's the main thing, just making sure everything's intact. Fact. So let's get to the hoops. How are y'all? Listen, Omar already told me he got a ratchet. So Jaden, you weren't here. <laughs> he said, does he got? Does he got a little something? He said. He said he's definitely. a shooting guard. Oh, he got. He got a little. Definitely, a little shot on him. <laughs> right, so, <laughs> so tell me about y'all's team, then y'all squad. What should we expect out of Morehouse? What's y'all scouting report? Definitely a lot of wins. I feel like we're going to play a lot. We want to play fast and transition. We're pretty athletic this year, so I think a lot of dunks. Movie. Watch your head. Y'all don't even know, but I scream. I, I cover sports, and I be saying, watch your head. So who, <laughs> you out there dunking, Jaden? Are you going to yeah. be the recipient of the loss? Let's go. Definitely. Let's go. I'm de- I, I, have, I, just, I would just tell one of my um my former teammates, I said, I got to throw at least file off this year. I was about Man, to say, you talking to D-Wade LeBron right now. Chill, chill. Oh, <laughs> I said, educate me. I want, I'm going to pull up on y'all. I wanted to see. But okay, so Omar, what you say? What's the scouting report of y'all's team? What else? Um, we just get, really, it's actually crazy because like the, the team that we got this year is very, very good. Like We got a lot of depth off the bench, especially what we got starting five-wise. So it's, it's going to be very interesting and very good. I love that. So I'm curious, you guys, because we saw uh, Shador Sanders at JSU turn it up one time for the one time. And then we saw him go to Colorado and he's still putting up numbers. And so I think that shocked a lot of people because people thought there was probably going to be a bigger gap between the HBCU talent and D1 talent. But from y'all's perspective, how do y'all see like that gap? Do you feel like y'all could hoop with D1? Just look at him looking like, cause I know y'all must have already talked about this before. Nah, so we just, so. We just, this past weekend we played two D1 teams. Okay. So what happened? <laughs> yeah. Like when we, we literally just played UAB yesterday and the score at halftime was like 34, 39. 
Okay. And it was just small things. And it really, like, we beat ourselves. It wasn't really them beating us. I'll say they were a great team, though. They had a couple high majors on their team. So it, it was definitely a great experience. But there, there, there's, I, there, there will be a gap, but the gap isn't. What people think I feel like is. the only gap is is chemistry. Like like Coach said yesterday, we've been doing this since May, August. They've been doing this since May. May. So it's like that shows a lot right there. We Definitely. Keep, keep that shows a lot about our team. So so how does that make y'all feel that heading into the season? Because like you know, like the season about to start. When does the season start? November tenth and eleventh. We got a double header. Okay, game. so that's less than two weeks. So the season is less than two weeks away. Y'all just went head to head with a D one team. So how y'all feeling going into this season? Like y'all expecting to do what? Like what's the goals? What what's the mind frame here? Undefeated. Ex- whoa, 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 what? Undefeated. Okay, I was making sure you said it with your chest. Yeah, yeah I was making sure. <laughs> y'all really think y'all boys can go undefeated? Nah, definitely. We we really don't want to lose any games. And I feel like like you were saying, chemistry. I feel like this team has has really good chemistry. All we do is laugh with each other all day. So Literally. all oh, we have to wow. do is pour that onto the court and I think everything else will solve itself. I love to see. I mean, undefeated is tough. I, I went undefeated one season. And I'm going to tell y'all. So my senior year at UConn, we went 39-0. and 0, And I might have said last week on this show that that was the most stressful season of my entire career. Well, I didn't even realize you was part of that team. I didn't mean to interrupt you. That's no, but yeah, okay. So <laughs> y'all young. So we went 39 and 0 in 2009 at UConn. And I'm going to tell you right now, you. so since y'all boys are trying to go undefeated, halfway through the season, like you're going to be rolling, right? It's going to be like you throwing lobs, you catching lobs. It's like y'all are in y'all's bag, right? Then halfway through the season about every single win, gets bigger and bigger because there's this bubble that y'all don't want to pop, right? It's like, dang, we already here now. We got eight games left. We can't lose any of those. So that's when the both of y'all, I'm talking to y'all right now, that's when y'all have to really lock in. Y'all talk about them little details and them minor details. That's when those are going to beat y'all because everybody going to be looking at y'all. Y'all are undefeated. You're going to get that A++ game. You don't got time for minor details and beating yourself. So don't let that first half of the season cruising. Let y'all think that that second half is going to be a cruise too. Cause I'm telling you, it starts to get, that thing starts to get real big and people start to get like this too. Like you don't want to mess up everybody like all tight, everybody. You got to just make sure everybody stays locked in and just does those same things. Cause that's what messes up people in postseason too. You get to postseason and you think I got to change everything. No, you better do everything you've been doing perfectly right like so i'm just telling y'all because y'all said undefeated and i'm like all right i'm about to tell y'all what that journey's gonna be like but i feel like y'all look like y'all built for it yeah i've i've been through that my high school career i actually went to school in connecticut as well i went to sacred high school and you want defeated is that what you're trying to tell me so you already been in that bubble yep and we got one championship mvp too let's go okay so okay we got some hoopers on the okay like i love to see this so i'm gonna pull up on you guys and just check y'all out this season shouts to lululemon too because i told them that y'all wanted some swag and so i really hit up my guy look repping it already i really hit up my guy shouts to marvin shouts to malachi because they was like we about to have to see what we can do for y'all so stay tuned we might have to do some things get y'all on a little shopping spree or something so stay tuned but i appreciate you guys pulling up on me definitely we appreciate you too definitely
restaurants have been put on notice, baby. And by Keith Lee and the crew, we're about to discuss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So, crew, we're going to get into a discussion today because Keith Lee, who is a TikTok food critic with 14 million followers plus, he goes through. And so he started out as um, a USC fighter. And so he was a fighter. And as a way to basically work on his public speaking, he's like, you know what? I'm going to start a TikTok where I review foods because I like to eat and I need to talk more public speaking. Well, long story short, he started doing these food reviews where he would pull up to random restaurants and he started to notice that when he would pull up, you know, more and more people would try it. Of course, it's kind of like when we watch Shark Tank and we see the foods they're trying on TV. I want to order and try it too. They give me every time. So this is basically Keith lead now anywhere he goes so now he knew that you know he got a platform he's like i'm a i'm gonna target black and latino restaurants because i'm knowing that like when i go there i be like just there's so many examples you can go on his tiktok and see but he's went to certain places and before he went they were struggling to stay alive and then after he leaves they're getting like thirty thousand a month plus like the the numbers just go crazy so he's on a food tour right now kind of what he does where he goes to different cities he tries their favorite foods he lets everybody know i'm pulling up in your city what foods should i try and a lot of times this a lot of restaurants they almost beg him to come because if he goes you know that you're automatically going to get customers so there were so many restaurants that were hitting him up begging him to come and he's also going to hit on those mainstay big restaurants right so that brings us to why Keith Lee towed up the Atlanta restaurant industry. So he pulled up on, as soon as he landed, he came to a restaurant. Boom, the first restaurant he comes to, I don't even know if it's the first or not, but he gets to a restaurant, there's a two hour wait. He asks, can they do to go? They say no. So then he's like, so then when they realize he goes in, they realize it's him. He's famous. They're like, all right, you can sit down. So he was like, no, I don't want to sit down. When I give my food reviews, I, I want to give an authentic experience. It's like the Michelin restaurant person. When they go to that restaurant, they don't announce that I'm here to see if you're going to get a. They want to get your real authentic experience on a random day. That's what Keith Lee wants to do. So he came to Atlanta and it just didn't go as planned. In his words, in quote, he said, it was a unique experience that I will never forget. And so he has also since then told Netflix that he would like to do a show on the Atlanta restaurants because this situation has gone so viral. So there's two sides of the coin. 
people are saying like, you know, like, okay, this is a normal thing. If you're from Atlanta, you know that. There's also been some people that clap back to say, who was Keith Lee? And then there's also the people that are like, yes, we love it. Keith Lee changed the industry. It's messed up. We need to do better. So that's kind of like a big paraphrase of everything going on with restaurants and Keith Lee. So I couldn't wait to talk to the crew about it just to get y'all's opinions on any part of this, whether it's waiting two hours to sit down in a restaurant. Would you do that? Would you not? Or if it's like, do you get annoyed? Cause you know, he didn't want to be a celebrity and skip the line. You know, is that annoying to people? So there was so much to unpack here. So he actually sent his family in first and they told his family that it was going to be like an hour wait. And then when he went in, they told him that his table was going to be ready in five minutes. And that's when he got mad and everything. And I'm not going to lie. I've been in Atlanta since I was maybe 14 years old or something like that. And I have had that same experience happen to me. Literally, I went in. It was with a group of friends. I went in first. One of the people in the group, it was a celebrity. He was a celebrity. And when I went in, they told me it was going to be like an hour and 30 minutes. And then when he went in, like literally a couple minutes after, they're like, oh, yeah, we have a table ready for you. And this was at Cheesecake Factory. And, and ah. this wasn't even like this wasn't even like nothing like a, a fancy restaurant or nothing like that. But I have definitely experienced that in Atlanta. I, I hate to say I love Atlanta, but, you know, whoever says who is Keith Lee, that's crazy to me. It's like ignorance is not an excuse anymore. If you're in the restaurant business, you need to know who Keith Lee is. Like, come on, that's that's just part of your job. So the, the who, who was it that said, oh, who is Keith Lee? I think it was the real I milk think the and real honey, milk right? The real milk and honey um, yeah. ownership was basically like, why is everybody so concerned? Who is Keith Lee? Mm -mm. Yeah. And then they went on to say that he's like autistic or something instead of like having accountability, taking accountability for what happened. It, it was an ugly situation for sure. Yeah. And then that that didn't sit well with people, because, again, we all know that Keith Lee started doing these TikToks because he had a, a public speaking fear or a problem that he wanted to overcome. Clearly, he did it, by the way. Shouts to Keith Lee. But uh, first of all, accountability, people, when somebody critiques your business or company, you probably shouldn't clap back. Like, that would just be my first thought. Like, what? Right. Especially when you found out that they're famous. And and on that tone, it could be any type of business. Customer service is number one. I don't care what kind of business you're in, restaurant, hardware, store, whatever. Whoever comes to you, you know, word of mouth does a lot more than any billboard, any newspaper ad, anything else you can put up there. So you should try to treat everyone. I don't care if they're a billionaire or if they're, you know, the beggar in front of your door who's asking for a handout, you should try to treat everybody the same. And that goes to if you're trying to show your goodness and you're a good moral person and you do treat everybody the same, you get more from that than just trying to uh, brown nose the, the, the rich people. And I think there's a scripture in Matthew that says, what you do to the least of them, you do to me. So you should always try to walk like that, you know? So you mean to tell me if Obama pulled up to your restaurant, you're going to treat him just like everybody else. Well, I'm going to say, uh, Mr. Obama, you know, we have a policy here. And so, you know, we uh, want to accommodate you, but it, we don't have a table right now. Could we take you to the back or could we put you somewhere else until we can accommodate you? Mm. Instead of, oh, that's good you know, customer service. Instead right of pushing there. somebody that was already in line, I've been sitting there waiting for a table. Because Snook would have been that 
spicy customer snook would you what would you have done if you was waiting and you had already been waiting two hours i'm gonna say well, hey hey what what do i need to do to get pushed to the front i mean i've been sitting here is my money not green I'm, I would ask them. oh brother whoa 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 brother yeah i know who you are <laughs> yeah the last yeah, but you, there, you're the back of the line yeah, but you try to do something, you, you know, you can't really, you know, you want to treat everybody the same. You want to give that personification that you're treating everybody the same. So you would say, oh, yeah, Mr. Obama. And, you know, the people <laughs> in the back would have been glad to give up their lounge or whatever place they go to for, to take him back there, you know, and wait and maybe greet a few people, take a few snapshots until they could get him settled in. OK, I mean. Juju, have you been keeping up with this topic? Because it's very I mean, there's a there's also another side of things where people are like, yeah, it always is a two hour wait for old lady gang. Like Candy came and made her response. And she was like, OK, guys, yes, we don't do takeout because we're too busy on the weekends. I'm sorry, but there is always a two hour wait because of the community. So what are your thoughts on the whole thing? Because because mm -hmm. you you live here like we live here, too. I don't go out to restaurants. You might I like. So what are your thoughts? Since the pandemic, I haven't been out that much at all because I don't like how. They be coming to your table and sitting your straw in your cup. I be like, uh -uh, can you wrap my straw and give me my Amen. own option? Amen. Don't touch the top of my straw, who, who, uh, sir, ma'am. Respect <laughs> to the establishment. Number one. Then you get to the table, the fork just sitting on the bare table. The fork, the spoon, mm. and the, uh, the butter knife just sitting on the table. Who cleaned this table? What rag was used? I agree with that. Is it my, mm -hmm. So I, I don't necessarily eat out. But if you want to play for the Hawks, you don't be like. Who is Dominique Wilkins? Who is he supposed to be? Like, you know what I mean? Right. So you gotta put some respect <laughs> on my boy's name. And I know, like, if you know him or not, once you realize what's going on, show some respect, guys. Come on, man. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, and that's the thing I think that a lot of people were saying, because it's like, Look, it, whenever something's your baby, like, you know how she said, keep in mind that I'm an artist and I'm sensitive about my like, we know that you're going to be sensitive if somebody talks about your business. Like, you know, if somebody talks about the Atlanta dream. I mean, when I'm online and I see people talking about the Atlanta dream and I see all these comments that are probably not even true. Of course, I could go on a clapback rage and start tweeting everybody back and going crazy. Of course, I could do that. But what would that do to the business? Like, what sense would that make for the business? So I think the main thing that happened with Keith Lee was Keith Lee started to tell all the truths that if you lived here in Atlanta, I'm pretty sure you knew that old lady gang had a long wait. Like, if you didn't, like, I mean, that's a known thing. Like, okay, well, the first part of it is, first thing is, is that if they told him it was going to be a two-hour wait and then said, oh, we got a table for you in five minutes, that means they snatched somebody's food off the table. They snatched somebody's <laughs> food off of their table or, or, or Put, put their bill and you know put kind of bill rest. down said y'all gonna be done in about five minutes or they just made them next in the queue i don't think so not with no two hour wait you two hour wait if i go in there i say and somebody says it's a two hour wait and then they come back out and they find it's me and now it's a five minute wait oh, yeah. ain't no way in life they they <laughs> snatched somebody's food off their table before because there's no way or oh, they made them an offer they couldn't refuse like hey y'all we got something going on if y'all get up right now y'all move y'all food is comped and free and i'm out <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. And I get that. Those are like the airlines. I understand the old lady gang is a two hour wait. They said brunches in Atlanta are a, a real thing. Facts. 
I just who's waiting for two hours? I <laughs> right. These shiftless Negroes got two hours. <laughs> it's no longer brunch after two hours. It's lunch. It's lunch. Yeah, it's right. Leonard. You got two hours away in the middle of the damn day. You need to reevaluate. <laughs> right. It's two o'clock and we still haven't even sat down to eat. Oh, listen. This is fighting words y'all are saying now because I know there's people like Baby G that loves a boozy brunch. Now I'm gonna tell you, people. There's people that live and die by a boozy brunch, baby. I get it. I. I, I understand. I believe me. I see about the brunches. I see the brunch videos. People brunches are huge. I don't know. Brunches are that way up here as far as the weight. And it just might be just that restaurant. It has good food. I just I, I'm Sunday after church. I'm hungry. I don't I can't wait two hours. So who's the person right. sitting waiting for our table to be ready for two hours? Because we all can't be sitting there together because now I have an attitude. <laughs> I have an attitude. We all sitting there talking about and it. Hungry? No. And we Can hungry. Imagine if, if old time buffet told your pastor that's gonna be two hours after church. <laughs> oh, oh no. 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 Right. So, right. Okay, so this brings me to my question then. Everybody has a favorite restaurant, right? What if your favorite restaurant doesn't do takeout because Candy said, like, we can't do takeout because literally I can't overwhelm my kitchen. Like, we get too much business. Great problems to have is these restaurants, by the way, got great problems to have. Right. But if your favorite restaurant doesn't deliver, are you waiting two hours in line every now and then? Because you got to remember, everybody ain't going every weekend. But even if you go every now and then, this is Atlanta, baby. It's packed. Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. I'll be all right till Monday. That's the way I feel about it. Yes. yes. Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. I'll wait till Monday. That's how it's going to be. I'm not waiting two hours. Restaurant. I'm not waiting two hours to take my food home. I'm not waiting two hours. I could have cooked and eaten in that time period. You go to the restaurant to put in your reservation, then go see the dream play, and then after the dream play, you're <laughs> on time. Hello, we back. Yeah, you take that little machine with you that lets you know when your food is ready. So when you're in right. the little buzzer, it's off. Oh, let me go get my food. Can you give me a stamp so I can get back in? <laughs> Listen, so if y'all want some dream tickets, all right, make it a whole date night. You can tell them, look, I'm going to set it up right quick. I'm going to take you to the restaurant, get you some feels. You might even have a little drink at the first one, head to the game. Y'all know at the game, you can only have snacks now at the game. Don't get too crazy because we got good food now. Don't get too crazy because you got a, a restaurant to go to afterwards. But like Juju said, come watch us get a dub. Then your little, okay, your Hello. little thing goes off and it's time <laughs> to head back. They hit you, it's time to go. This story has gotten so big that now all of the Atlanta restaurants are like, uh-uh, that's not <laughs> us. Like we got good customer service over here. You know, like, so even, even, so I have it right here on uh, Milk and Honey ATL Instagram. They posted, so this is not the one that Keith Lee went to. The one that he went to was the, it's called the Real Milk and Honey. And they put out a statement on Instagram and it, it, they said, we at Milk and Honey Brunch Restaurants wish to clarify that we are a different entity and are not affiliated with the restaurant known as the Real Milk and Honey. And they Man. went on to say how, when, when they got established in 2017, and then they ended up saying that we offer world-class service. And, and you know, so they, they're they putting their stake in the ground and said, that is not <laughs> us. Okay, we are not part of that Atlanta bad customer service, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, stigma. No, they're not going to put Ooh. us in there. So it's like <laughs> Keith Lee is, you know, he's. I, I think that he did a good service 
service to Atlanta because I'm not going to lie. I, I like I said, this has been a problem for some years. And a lot of my friends say the same thing. And this is I come from New York. People in New York are very, very rude. And it, <laughs> when you go to a, to a restaurant in New York, they're not very nice to you. And so when you come to Atlanta, people people expect that Southern hospitality and they do get in some places. But nah, the, the restaurant business is definitely suffering in that customer service area. Two things. I, I don't think they were rude. I think that they just felt like, why are we waiting two hours? They probably were nice, but they were just like, hey, you just have to wait like everybody else. But I think the rude part was when he came in. He said he doesn't oh, like to get special yeah. treatment. Yeah, and that yeah. was for both restaurants, actually. Oh, yeah. It was for Old Lady Gang and the real milk and honey. I think the rude part was the other milk and honey, but like, look, we don't know them Negroes. We're <laughs> 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 from Tennessee. He said, we're not them. Did he say the Old Lady Gang food was Well, here's the, he didn't even this get is it. the funny part. He didn't get to eat, did he? Yeah, there was three restaurants that he did reviews with with no food. So he goes, as you can see here, I'm sitting here with no food. Here's why. He has to tell you (laughs) why he didn't have the food. I'm telling you, I agree with Babe. I think he did a service to Atlanta restaurants in a sense of like, I know that people that love their brunch, they almost take it as this is a part of the lifestyle. If you want to go to brunch, you got to put it in your two hours. The food is always on point. The food's on point. They usually give you endless something, whether it's endless crab legs one day, endless mimosas the next day. They're giving you endless something that makes you feel like it's worth it. So there is that two sides of the coin. But one thing's for sure, I guarantee Charles Barkley style that there ain't no restaurants in Atlanta now that ain't going to be a little bit more aware now that Keith Leading came through, I guarantee. And so Boy, for that, if you got a little dress, go go to the restaurant and act like Keith Lee. We we'll put a mask on. <laughs> Keith Lee is our guy Ferrara. Yes, our guy Fieri. Yeah, guy Ferrara. His his close friends call him Ferrara. He's going from city to city, evaluating service and food. Guys That's right. just doing yep. the right. food, but he's giving you the total package. If you want to yes. eat here, this is what you're going to have to go through. And like Juju said, put some respect on his name. Yeah, facts, because, you know, there's a reason he only does black and Latino restaurants, too. And like it only worked against those restaurants here in Atlanta, by the way, people. I want y'all to know that normally when he does this, it's a gift. Like if he comes to your restaurant, it's Christmas. He has blessed you and your family because whoever's in that city is now going to that restaurant. Like because everybody trusts him so much, 14 million people follow him. So when he hits their city, there's a reason it's going viral. The AJC wrote about it. The Atlanta mm-hmm. Journal Constitution <laughs> yeah, wrote about literally this on topic. the local news stations right now. Right, leave it to Atlanta what? to complain about the show. God can make your business better. So right, normally, right. Keith Lee is blessing these black and Latino restaurants. But unfortunately, and side note, let me just make sure I say too, there were about four restaurants that he did bless. There was a food truck where a guy said, all I need to do is sell four hot dogs a day and I can stay, like, stay in my home and maintain my life. I just need four hot dogs to sell a day, right? That's what he was saying. He was like, some days we sell a lot, some days we don't. They saw his social media and saw all the deals that he was doing and Keith Lee pulled up to this man's food truck. Baby, he said, listen, this was so good. He said, you know, I didn't even want to hit you up, man. He said, I knew it. I did. He didn't even hit him up. He's like, I didn't even want to hit you up because I wanted to be ready when you came to me. I wanted to have all my stuff in order, man. I just opened up two months ago. I took a leap of faith and just opened up two months ago. And here you are. I wasn't even going to hit you, but look at God, man. And Keith Lee did a review. I, the food was good. 
Like, this is what Keith Lee normally does. It just so happened that he came to ATL, baby. <laughs> and it was just a different experience like no other. So, of course, we had to talk about the AJC talking about it. Everybody talked. Black Twitter talking about it. The Atlanta community talking about it. But one thing that we can't say for sure is that y'all better look out now. If Keith Lee coming into your city, let this be a warning. Get yes. yourself together now. Shots fired. I think I might invite him to dinner here. Guess who's mm-hmm. coming to dinner tonight? Listen, <laughs> I'm going to tell you what. Keith Lee, do your thing, though. Like, I really can't say enough that, like, this is a controversial situation they have with Keith Lee in Atlanta, but what he really is doing is just so amazing. He's such a good guy. You Like, just, f- like, follow him for yourself to see. But ATL, man, it's up. There's a lot of things happening in Atlanta that I love, but what I really love that's happening in Atlanta is that when people come here, they feel like home, family. I'm one of those people. I moved from West Virginia to Atlanta probably 10 years ago, and it felt like home instantly, and the people around it. And so when you hear Omar and Jaden say they chose Morehouse because of that, it's like, it's big lit. And then when you hear them be grateful for everything they have, knowing that they don't have everything they need, come on now, I gotta do better. It makes you feel like you gotta do better because he was like, really, I got everything I need. And here's me knowing that he doesn't have half the things I had at UConn, but he's so grateful for everything. So that's just my word, man. We gotta be grateful for everything because it's a generational thing. See y'all next week.